Hey guys, welcome to Radical Rocks. Today we've got a very exciting episode for you, jam-packed full of exciting and educational rock, gym, and mineral information. If you want to stay tuned to the end, we're going to continue our review of the Rich Hill, Arizona area. We're going to talk about some of the oldest rocks and geology and the ancient history there. We're going to talk about wolfenite, um, axonite. We're going to talk about some fossils, dragonfly wings, the mad beast, um, a discovery of a mixed breed of human with a tail, believe it or not. Uh, We'll talk about that, maybe some uh, questions on that one. Also, the Mars uh, rover has seen some rocks there. We're going to talk about rock tumbling. Uh, Mike Rowe has a show on TV. We'll talk about that. We've got the Miss Universe crown. Utah, honey, calcite, and other exciting rock, gym, and mineral news. So stay tuned. We're going to talk about all of those things. Okay? Um, Also, I want to thank everybody for their participation, for subscribing, for sharing. Um, Our membership is growing slowly but surely, so we appreciate that. Every time you share and uh, spread this, it helps us grow. It helps us get the news out there about rocks, gems, and minerals and keep this hobby alive. Um, Just stop by our website, RadicalRocks.com. Scroll down to the bottom. Get connected with all our social media and also our videos, and we do have a few blogs out there. So let's get right into it. I've got a ton of information and not a lot of time to cover it because I've got to get on down the road, things to do, places to go, time to waste and no money, right? (laughs) Anyway, Mike Rowe, I really like Mike Rowe. He popped up because uh, an article popped up saying that uh, he's funded by Big Oil, Uh, It was very scathing and uh, talking very bad about big oil. Um, Whatever your viewpoint is on big oil, I'm for green energy. Um, But the fact remains that there is a lot more pollution associated with green energy at this time. And oil has brought us into a modern world that uh, has brought much health and uh, prosperity to the world. And a lot of people would literally die without it um, if they would just look at the whole situation. But Mike Rowe is doing a new show called Six Degrees, and it's history. Um, He does talk about inventors, and I'm sure that some of them use rocks and minerals and things like that. Um, But if you're interested in Mike Rowe, just go to MikeRowe.com. It's uh, M-I-K-E-R-O-W-E.com. He's got a little clip there on his Six Degrees, which is a very interesting look at historical events and how one thing ties to another. I thought it was pretty fascinating. thought you would like that. Now, our friends at the Searchers are uh, producing a a monthly uh, report for, they call it the Slab, and uh, on that, that's their newsletter. They're having a field trip, the Green Ash Hills and Mule Canyon field trip is going to be on April 17th and April uh, 18th. That's a Saturday and Sunday. All the instructions can be found at... uh, their website. Just look up um, 
that group. I'll give you some more information here. But the Anaheim searchers are going to be heading to the Calico Mountains for a variety of petrified palm, petrified wood, agate, and jaspers. They're going to visit two or three collecting sites along the Mule Canyon Road. There's a lot of float there. Um, there's also some dig areas of bog agate and palm, just a short uh, drive from where the camp is. They have all the instructions there, the meeting areas and things like that, who you can connect with. They'll have uh, waivers if you do go with the group so that you will not hold them accountable. You'll be responsible for yourself. They've got a lot of great links on their um, newsletter. You can check that out. Their um, April meeting is going to be also downloaded on Zoom, so that's something members can be a part of. Um, also, they're going to have a field trip to the Sperry Wash and War Eagle Mind. Um, it looks like that's already passed, so that's already been done, but that's a really good area if you ever want to go there. That's in California. This group is a California group. I know I'm in Idaho now, but I still keep up with our friends in California because um, there's so many great spots there to dig. Um, and they are a lot of them are still open to um, light rock hounding in spite of what you might have heard. There are still some. It's a historic group of Shoshone mines in the upper north uh, noonday camp. And the legends, uh, history of the area is lead, uh, silver, gold, copper. So there's a lot of these associated uh, minerals that are in the area that can be picked up. There's gray crystals um, of uh, linerite and uh, other things to be found there. Actually, they're just reporting on the trip that they had there. So if you want to be on the next one, you want to get connected with this group because not everybody gets to go to these areas. They also are talking about the gym and mineral shows. They have all those updates there, and um, they are going to be uh, doing their own show uh, once a year. They have that information there, and they are located at the Anaheim Downtown Community Center, and it looks like they will meet there the second Tuesday of each month. If you're interested, membership is very affordable. Individuals, $25. Couple, $35. Um, I don't know if they have a family rate or what, but you can check that out if you're interested. Now, Opals, uh, we've passed a couple little holidays. Uh, one of them is Easter. I tried to find some Easter stuff out there. Um, there is an article on jckonline.com. It says, Opals are the new Easter eggs of gemstones. They've got a lot of jewelry there, uh, highlighting opal and the beautiful spring colors that go well for Easter, if that's something you want to check out. I thought it was interesting. There's also another article at the jewelryeditor.com on turquoise, mostly highlighting uh, turquoise jewelry, but they go in to talk about some of the common things that we've talked about many times, the original history of turquoise out of Egypt and mines out of Persia, and uh, then moving to the southwest, uh, Mexico and uh, Arizona and Nevada and areas like that. They talk about where turquoise gets its unique color, which is the copper that gives the blue and iron, which produces a uh, green type hue or zinc, which results in this green yellowy hue. Also, uh, there is... Uh, uh, Verisite is with a zinc, which is turquoise uh, kind of 
sister, as it were. So um, they talk about why it's so desirable, this uh, blue color, how it's so warming and has been so sought after through the beginning of history. They talk about some uh, well-known artists that work with turquoise and things like that. So if you're really into turquoise and you want to find out more about that, go check that out. Now here's something exciting. Um, Utah in the United States has a new state stone. Uh, it's honeycomb calcite. Now, you may or may not have heard of this. Um, probably, if you haven't heard of it, it's because there's only one place that it can be found. If you go to Fox, the number 13 now.com, uh, channel 13 there, I believe, has a little uh, blurb on it, little video that you can watch where they go into some detail about this stone. This honeycomb calcite is now the state gemstone. Um, it's only found in one area. And in the center of the capital, in the center of the state seal, is actually a slab of this beautiful stone. Utah, you may or may not know, has been known as uh, to be called the beehive state. So it's very fitting that this honeycomb calcite, which when backlit, glows and looks like a honeycomb. No two pieces are the same. It is a beautiful golden amberish yellow. Um, goes from yellow to a darker amber yellow. Can be used for jewelry, um, tabletops, counters. Uh, many, many works of art are made from this beautiful uh, honeycomb calcite. So if you don't have any of that or you're interested in that, you might want to... Uh, get a piece of that uh, and purchase it. Now on Rock and Gym, we have a mineral of the week, uh, understanding uh, axonite. It's A-X-I-N-I-T-E. The article came out on the 29th by Rock and Gym magazine. You've heard me talk about them many times. This rock, um, according to Antoinette Ron, says uh, that Axonite describes a group of similar but closely related but slightly different minerals. She cites um, minerals.net as giving the definition that axonite is of a basic aluminum, a borosilica of calcium, iron, magnesium, and manganese. And that composes a specific group which results in this specimen of axonite. Now, the name itself is inspired because of these sharp-edged crystals similar to an axe, or in Greek terms, axonine, which is in the inspired name of this mineral group um, and was designated in 1787. Sometimes the crystal also appears in groups of rosettes of sharp crystals instead of the singular uh, columnar blades or blades, blade or blades. Now, as far as colorations, it's known to be a dichloric, which means revealing different colors when viewed at different angles. So as you turn it, you will notice different shades of colors. The common colors are smoky brown, purple brown, greenish brown, gray, and even black. And very less common reported axonite colors are green, purple, orange, and yellow. So the specimen that they have here, if you look this up, just go to rockandgym.com and uh, look up the mineral of the week, understanding axonite, and it will pop up. It's actually for sale, and you can click on it and bid on it um, and check it all out if you want. 
Now, Tiffany's, not to be outdone um, when it comes to gems and minerals, if you go to um, oh boy, I can't prestigeline.com. So that's P-R-E-S-T-I-G-E-O-N-L-I-N-E.com. Uh, they've got an article here highlighting Tiffany's uh, 2021 Blue Book Collection, The Natures of Colors. Colored gems um, take the spotlight here. And they have a really nice variety of some beautiful gemstones. If you want to see some striking colors, they have a yellow and gold necklace with over 22 carats of rounded, esteemed Russian uh, Demonton garnets, mixed cut diamonds weighing over 34 carats. Um, they've got a beautiful opal here that is showcased in a ring. Beautiful, beautiful, um, spectacular specimen in the Blue Book con- uh, collection with gold, platinum, a seven carat opal cabochon, uh, black opal. And uh, diamonds, uh, beautiful, very something to be seen. Another wonderful piece, uh, necklace with heavy uh, emerald cut uh, rublets containing 124 carats, cushion cut amethyst weighing over 23 carats, and square diamonds of over 5 carats in combined weight for those. Now, uh, as you scroll down the page, you see several uh, works of art from the company, but I mostly enjoyed the beautiful um, uh, gemstones. There's also a yellow bracelet with a beautiful emerald cut sapphire over 26 carats of baguettes. The sapphire is a stunning yellow of over 11 carats. If you want to check that out and dream a little dream, Mars. Scientists are examining the landscape through the rover camera. This can be seen at WBIW.com. They have pictures here. What you're seeing through the camera is not a psychedelic trip from the 60s, but it is a spectrum of colors that the camera sees with these special lens that help it identify these rocks that are on Mars. It has a 360 degree panorama of the image that it can take. It can look at uh, images as far as a soccer ball field away. It uses this camera to zero in on these images in such great detail. It has these corkscrew motors inside the camera, giving the capability strong enough to view a housefly at the end of a soccer field. They've sent more than 12,000 images since it touched down in February. Um, It takes uh, pictures of uh, nine inches apart and just maps the whole area and uh, helps identify these rocks by their mineral footprints using these wavelengths and special lenses to do that. So we'll be getting a lot of different uh, information back from this as time progresses. They have over 13 different positions of visible wavelengths of light to see through specific color fingerprints of these different minerals and map out where these minerals are occurring. So to create an actual geological map of Mars is underway right now. Really cool, uh, wonderful technology that we see there. Now, um, 
Let's see. Let me look for something else. Um, April Fools. I know April Fools is passed, but uh, I I found something with April Fools. I couldn't couldn't pass it up. Had to share it. This city, Ranco City, joins on uh, in on the April Fools' Day fun with a fossil discovery spoof. You can see this at wfxrtv.com um, on the Renault. Maybe it's Renoki, R-O-A-N-O-K-E, Renoki News. They said that they found a fossil uh, discovery of this tooth, and um, they um, publicized it, that they were digging, that this was going to be the largest discovery. It says, paleontologists are baffled. We have not just one discovery of a bone on Mill Mountain, but also a discovery of some type of fossil at Mill Mountain Zoo and another one at Renoki Mountain. It's huge. Only a few dinosaur teeth have ever been discovered on the east coast of North America, and none have been found in Virginia until today. Crews are diligently digging until more clues and more bones. That's all we know, blah, blah, blah. They sent out a second uh, one to kind of even emphasize this with a picture, and then they finally uh, let the cat out of the bag and said, April Fools, you know, this is just a elephant tooth that we had from the zoo. Ha ha, we got you. So pretty fun time there, um, joking around, giving people a hard time. Always fun. Now, Channel 24 uh, at news24.com talks about the diamonds and rubies and a R74 million dollar price tag. So um, wherever this is at, wherever whatever country the crown is in, it's 74 million of their dollars. Um, these crowns have been varied throughout the years and are quite magnificent. If you want to check out that article, um, they do ask you to subscribe, but they have the South African... Um, uh, uh, crown, uh, who is the 69th Miss Universe uh, winner there, wearing her beautiful crown, and you can check that out more if you want to uh, get endless amount of emails from them by signing up to their subscription. I don't, so we'll move on. Um, every once in a while, we bump into something about one of our fellow rockhounders and lapidarius and also fossil collectors. Um, David Brian Bird um, passed away on November 17th, uh, 2020. He was a kind-hearted man with much love. He was very educated when it came to some of his hobbies, including his avid collection of fossils, rocks, and minerals. David enjoyed sharing these items with others just as much as he enjoyed collecting them for himself. Um, and uh, David enjoyed scuba diving, drove up and down California and the coast and around the world pursuing these two hobbies. Uh, we want to wish him and his family well as he goes on to rock hounding um, in heaven and uh, on those streets of gold. May he rest uh, eternally. All right. Now, a dragonfly wing is a very significant discovery mentioned at cbc.ca. Uh, it's a news station. It says that it's in New Brunswick, uh, England, I believe. Um, it could possibly be Australia, but um, I'm thinking... It's uh, England, probably. But anyway, it says 300 million year old dragonfly wing among several significant pandemic fossil finds. And this came out on the 4th. And they've got a picture of the fossil there. 
huge dragonfly wing. This was found by some very young men, uh, 17-year-old young men, uh, Rowan Norad, 17, and his friend Luke Allen and their and uh, his father, uh, Donnie Norad, found what turned out to be the largest dragon wing fossil of all. Um, the article goes on to say that the one wing that they found was 25 centimeters. That's about uh, oh, a little less than 10 inches. So this creature would have been a meter long. Um, you know, when you take both those wings and then the body and everything, um, you're talking, you know, uh, over two foot. Uh, wide wingspan of this creature, a huge, huge uh, dragonfly, the largest of its kind. They um, collect these hillside areas, and this isn't their first discovery. This is just the most spectacular one. Here's a picture of them there at the cliffs of the shoreline of Grand Lake, uh, prime fossil hunting grounds for them, and they have discovered such things as uh, millipede footprints, uh, they have discovered a snail, a giant uh, fossil snail, land snail. They have found a camel's tooth, camel's teeth, uh, some of the first ones there. They have also located tiny fossil vertebrae jaw with about nine teeth um, there. Uh, don't know what animal that is yet. Has not been identified. Um, and all sorts of other things are coming out of there. Uh, footprints, things like that. Very, very interesting um, discoveries there for those young men. Just amazing. Um, who You never know who's going to find something next or where it's going to pop up. Now, Italy has established a gemstone training institute in what they call G-B. This article comes out of the brecorder.com uh, business recorder. It's uh, on April the um, 21st. And apparently this GB is Pakistan. So Italy is making some deals here to establish a gibstowed training institute there. Um, they're making all kinds of uh, wheeler deals for money and uh, trading and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's nice that they are offering this uh, training to learn about the developing of jewels, gems, jewelry industry in that area and to help with uh, employment and uh, to help this area that's rich in natural resources, including precious gemstones and minerals. Now, we didn't say this in the title, but we've got some news on rock tumbling um, that you might want to check out. Um uh, that I stumbled across because a lot of times people are asking about rock tumbling and um, I am not an expert at it. I've done it a little bit, but I'm not an expert. Also, don't forget to stay tuned for the end. If you want to hear about Rich Hill, Arizona, we're going to talk about that geology. We're going to talk about the history there. And uh, as we have time week to week, we're going to go through that. But rock tumbling um, is uh, a very, very... Uh, fun hobby. Young people like it. It takes a lot of patience. If you go to rocktumbling.info, they have a wonderful site there with all the basics, tons of videos on how to tumble rocks. Um, you go through here, rock tumbling tutorial for tumblers and creamic media, agate and lake superior rock slideshow, beautiful spring day on the beach, cutting and polishing uh, datalite, rock hounding uh, uh, Ontario Bay, uh, tumb tumblers, 
Model B rock tumbler convert to two barrels. How to dispose of rock tumbler slurry. A disposal tip. Tumbling Michigan bead rocks. A batch of tumbling done. Uh, rock tumbling tips. Step three. Step two through three. All kinds of articles. How to polish the uh, Pedowski stones. Um, all sorts of tips on tumbling rocks. So you want to check that out. Rock tumbling dot info and get your updates on rock tumbling um wolfenite wolfenite and uh meteorite this is a combination of a, a wolfenite and meteorite examining a breakthrough combination brought to us by rock and jim again i subscribe to their newsletter it's free this came out on march the 29th there is a beautiful specimen with these orangish planes of almost glass in square flat plates scattered throughout all these dark orangish crystals and bitrudal globules. It is a specimen to drool over by Davis Minerals. The article was written again by our friend Bob Jones, very experienced um, in lapidary and minerals. He guy's been all over the place, written a rock ton of articles and definitely a wonderful resource through Rock and Jim magazine. He has said that some of his favorite pictures and articles about wolfenite mines from the Southwest definitely include the best from the San Francisco mine, the wolfenite slash minimatite specimens which are found all over but the san francisco mine is his favorite has a beautiful stunning orange and red yellows mother nature can only achieve these beautiful colors as he so aptly states arizona and mexico are noted for the fine wolfenite there's over a hundred mines with this lead uh, molodite of 150 miles of Tucson, including the world's best-known Red Cloud, the Defiance, the Glove, the Raleigh, all in Arizona, and the Los Lamitos in Mexico, and fine wolfenite specimens are produced from these mines also in Mexico. They don't come close to the best, which come from the San Francisco mine, the Cooperip, the Sonora, and the Mexico in Bob's opinion, and I would have to agree with him. The Wolfenite wonders at the Sac, uh, San Francisco mine are elaborated on uh, by Bob here. He talks about these specimens that are produced here. He talks about the mining history that started in the 1800s as a gold and silver producing mine and then uh, uh, malignum until 1912, sporadic mining that followed. Um, he talks about some of the samples that he's found and collected. Um, there's some pictures of the mine here and some of the old miners. Um, San Francisco wolfenite is the best for specimens. What makes these specimens so amazing is more than one feature. The combination of the well-crystallized specimens and outstanding colors are two important factors. When you combine well-crystallized spe uh, specimens with brilliant colors, the results are breathtaking. Blue he says, consider the blue and green azurite malachite. Very attractive and eye-appealing, but in comparison to the intense orange-red color of the Mexican wolferite, uh, 
Mimtonite. Uh, no comparison. So check this out. The range of color goes from a normal brown yellow to a bright yellow to a brilliant orange. One superb pocket of bright yellow wolfenite was mined specifically for the Arizona Sonora Desert Museum. So you can go there and check that out. Um, they incorporated a packet of the wolfenite with its flax mine display, which resides in the Cungden Earth Science Center. The mine tunnel houses various crystal pockets featuring vandenite, uh, mal malachite, and even uh, selenite, and a cave dug and arranged by Ben Fern. There's many colors for wolfenite companion uh, minerals of mintmite, uh, excuse me, minmite, seen in colors of bright orange, dark red, fire engine red, and unlike wolfenite, which develops in uh, wafer thin tabulature crystals minmatite develops as small red um, spirules measuring a few millimeters a, a, across these uh, spiracles formed individually in small I call them uh, bitrudels they're calling them spiracles uh, they grow individually in small interglowing crystals of tight sheets on wolfenite crystals intriguing in the red Minmatite uh, spiracles perched on the edges of large orange wolfenite blades. A combination of bright orange translucent wolfenite tabulature crystals, which look like little plates of uh, square rectangle plates of glass, are generously decorated and even infused with bright small orange red minmatite Spiracles is spectacular in clusters of wolfenite blades. The minerals seem to be suspended in the narrow spaces. So the article goes on um, quite extensively to talk about this mine and these specimens. There's a few more pictures. He talks about how he's mesmerized by these uh, beautiful colors and talks about the different levels of the mine and more about the museum. Um, go check that out if you want to learn more and see more more of these beautiful minerals that you can check out. So with that, let us get into our topic from Rich Hill. This comes from the book of Rich Hill, The History of Arizona's Most Amazing Gold District. Um, the authors are uh, Catherine Crombie, Ph.D., Chris T. Golson, he has a bachelor's in science, Danette S. Loretta, Ph.D., Eric B. Mellencloring, Ph.D. Um, the book can be published online. Um, this edition is signed by Eric. I bought it off him direct. Um, and the first printing was 2020. So as we go into this uh uh, information. We're not going to read it verbatim because that just wouldn't be right, but we're going to highlight some of the points of this fine book. If you are a gold lover uh, or if you like history and mines, this is something you will want to add to your collection as we skip about and uh, go through some of the information in this wonderful book. Um, there is a chapter one on more than one way to find gold in Arizona. Um, you can check that out if you want. There's a great story in there. We're not going to um, talk about that much. But the geological history of Rich Hill 
um, the ancient geological history goes back, uh, they say, millions of years, and the oldest rocks at Rich, Hole, uh, Rich Hill are described. Um, it says that at one time, that area was once at the bottom of the ocean. Um, sediments were deposited on the ocean floor. Occasional volcanic eruptions would dump lava on top of that, and then more sediment, and then more lava. This would happen over and over again, creating many, many layers of sediment and lava. Now, at the bottom, these metamorphosized as a re, uh, result of the pressure. And then, um, at some later date, they said large plumes of magma pushed up and intruded through these layers of lava and sediment. Um, bulging upward, bending them upward, and then uh, a fifth intrusion occurred, and magmas that were richer in quartz than the rocks on the sea floor crystallized slowly deep in the earth and formed a rock called granite. The malted granite moved up along the faults and cracks and formed these bodies that ranged from a few kilometers across to sheets and dikes a few meters across. When the solidified and granules uh, contained about uh, one to four millimeter crystals of quartz, feldspar, and mica. Then a sudden influx of heat from the cooling granite masses cooked, and um, the sediments turned them into metamorphic rocks. The rocks are now called the uh, Yavapai metamorphics and are distinguished by their dark greenish black to gray color and the fine-grained mineral character. Due to the greenish color, these rocks are often referred to as greenstone and these belts of ancient greenstone are associated with many gold belts all around the world um, as cited here, Arizona, Canada, Western Australia, and South Africa. Now they have some fine little... Um, drawings showing how this all took place step by step um, uh, to this point and then uh, they go into some more of the geological forming that happened um, we will save that for another time and we are going to go into the original history of the Spanish in Arizona in chapter 3 they go quite extensively into this, but a lot of this is going to be reminiscent of history that you may recall um, if you have been uh, taught uh, early American history about the Spaniards and Cortez and the conquerors of Mexico and such. So the, the Yavapai Indians were the first um, known people to dwell in the area. Um, the tribe was thought to remain quite small, around 2,000 members was uh, about what was sustained in population there through the years. They weren't interested in gold, but they loved the bright colored copper ores. They would use these to make dyes to color um, their uh, pottery, their baskets, um, you know, their skin. Uh, they would use it in ceremonial um, uh, uses and things like that. Now, as early as 1516 to about 1521, the Spanish arrived in uh, North America in 1516 when Diego 
Valaquez, the Spanish governor of Cuba, sent expeditions to the Yucan, the Yucatan of Gulf Mexico, and uh, this Valquez commissioned Cortez to explore the Yucatan, and Cortez enlisted indigenous groups to act as interpreters and guides, and they went on to discover these Aztec areas. Um, Cortez believed that the um, populations of, uh, of these people um, were Aztec. These people of Aztec had a belief in a white-skinned god, um, Quetz Quetzalcoatl, and Quetzal is a bird in Australia that has these very, very long feathers, and it actually means uh, king. And so only the king was allowed to wear these long feathers here, but they thought he was some sort of a god king from a prophecy. So Montezuma, the Aztec uh, emperor, saw this as a fulfilled prophecy, warmed, uh, gave him a warm welcome, and uh, but Cortez is... Uh, was not there to be their god, but more like an overlord, and uh, he was there to take their gold. He uh, blocked them of their food and water, weakened the city's defenses. Um, you know, they had uh, muskets and swords and things like this. There was no competition for the warriors to be able to defeat uh, defeat the um, intruders, and uh, they were able to find the gold. So Spanish power spread rapidly throughout the Aztec Empire. They did uh, travel all through um, that area. There was the seven cities of gold that were discovered in uh, 1530 to 1532. Uh, the Spanish enslaved the native population. Uh, they wanted to learn more about this uh, country that they had uh, taken over, and uh, they took the Indians and uh, basically forced them to tell them or use things to bribe them with and uh, found out about these different seven cities of gold that was their rumor. They traveled some 200 leagues to conquer and reach these wealthy cities. Um, and then finally, um, Corona or Coronado explores Arizona in 1540. So this was a few years later. Um, there was a new governor of Spain. This legend of these seven cities was uh, pretty cool. They wanted to find out what lay north and uh, of Mexico. So they headed on and uh, they, they uh, took over villages in North Mexico. Uh, Coronado interpreted uh, reports as the legends of the seven cities. And uh, they went on to go even more farther north. Um, they reached the Zuni Indians in New Mexico and continued marching through Arizona. There's a nice map here that they have that shows the early Spaniard explorers in Arizona um, traveling through the south of uh, Arizona, going up to the north as far as east of Flagstaff, um, up through the Wickenburg area, back down, um, and then through down through the Rio Grande River back to the south. All through this area, they discovered many, many areas, including the Rich Hill area, which they passed by uh, and didn't even discover it the first time. They were about 20 minutes away. So here they are looking for these riches of these seven cities um, that they had heard about. Well, they saw the gold that was there. They made them fill a huge building 
uh, with gold and uh, really tormented uh, the Aztecs and just, just really exterminated them. The very, very um, bad history there from the um, Spanish conquerors. And um, then, uh, let's see, the their reputation wasn't too good at that point. They went into um, another area where they were attacked by the Indians by the hundreds. Um, they're very savagely attacked because, you know, nobody wanted to be killed by them, so they were going to kill them first. Um, the Spaniards entered the city during the Battle of Coronado. Um, at this time, and uh, let's see, there was no gold, no precious stones, uh, no fine cloths, uh, nothing. So, the huge battle for nothing. And then they went on to take uh, a nearby providence that had seven villages. Don Pedro took seven horsemen, four soldiers, and a Franciscan. Uh, they reached the valley of Tucson the modern-day Hopi Mesas in Arizona. Uh, they had another battle there, and uh, they did find turquoise. So they finally found something of value. Um, they ended up journeying. They found some salt crystals by the Grand Canyon. Um, they journeyed eastward back to um, Wichita. They found a little bit of gold. They explored into New Mexico. They were disappointed. And uh, finally, in 1579, or I should say furthermore, in 1579 and 1582, Antonio uh, finds mines in Arizona. Um, Antonio, he followed uh, some of the footprints of, of those who had gone before them. Um, these explorers, they moved forward. Um, there was missionaries, miners, and cattlemen by this time in the area. By 1580, the frontier settlement had been reached to the head of the Conchos River in uh, Chihuahua, Mexico. There was a military frontier that uh, was even further, uh, but marauding Indians um, were there, um, you know, not happy they were there. And they were in search of mines. In 1579, an Indian was captured at Santa Barbara who told of large settlements in the north where people raised cotton, had plentiful food. So they headed on um, with uh, uh, 28 people, some soldiers, 16 Indians. They explored a large part of New Mexico and discovered Pueblo villages. They did find silver mines at this time and ore to be assayed, turned out to be half silver. Um, they found other Pueblos and continued their exploration, <clears throat> which included lots of slaughtering of Native Americans. Um, they went on to be led by another wealthy um, citizens of Mexico to the area... Um, near the Concho River to the Rio Grande up to present-day El Paso um, and discovered um, more of their people had been killed there. Then they traveled to Chibola, which is now known as Zuni. They explored north of the lake to find gold that was said to lie there. Um, they did not find it, but uh, they had found 4,000 cotton blankets. And they sent these back to the Zuni 
um, with five soldiers and the remaining four went in search of the mines that they heard about. Finally, in Arizona, near present-day Jerome, they found some rich ores. That was the first ones. The mines were said to lie about 60 leagues from Zuni, and despite the reports, the exploration of Arizona by the Spaniards would wait another 20 years. But they'd finally found some gold um, and some silver. Then, moving forward to the last part of our discussion today, 1595 to 1598, um, New Mexico was uh, conquered and settled, and... um, the uh, uh, it was to be awarded to Juan de Annette. I'm probably saying it wrong. And it was the expedition was to to start, but was delayed until 1598. It was going to be led from the Conchos River, uh, consisted of over 400 men, uh, with 130 of them bringing their family. There was 33 carts and wagons, and 7,000 cattle. Um, they tried to pacify the natives along the way by giving them things this time. Um, it sounds like they weren't so eager to get in a war because um, they got their they got their uh, clocks knocked out pretty good in a lot of these battles. By the way, people are still digging up um, stuff that was left by the Spaniards all the way back in the 1500s out in New Mexico and different areas um, that were slaughtered out in those areas. Uh, as they lost um, many of these wars um, through through Arizona. The Apache Indians who were living on the plains at the time, um, they were able to hunt buffalo um, and get the meat and the hides, and then a lot of mines were discovered at that time. They used Indian guides um, that knew of the mines, and this led them finally to the area of Rich Hill. Um, They passed within 20 miles of it the first time, and then uh, just a few years later, it was finally discovered. The Spanish, uh, the last of the Spanish expeditions into central Arizona um, was completed. Um, The the Rich Hill area was not really directly discovered at this time, um, but uh, other many rich areas were. They have a little excerpt here. I don't know where they took it from, but they talked about the vein of San Francisco. They talked about this many, many claims that were taken at this time in 1598. Um, Some of these claims, they said that uh, the ores were black, uh, water-colored, blue, green ores, and the ore is so blue that it it seems like enamel. And uh, so they went ahead and they took uh, 28 claims for themselves in this area, uh, some for the governor. The veins were a couple arm lengths wide. That was the vein of San Francisco. They took 14 or 15 claims on the other outcrop. They found a vein they named San Gabriel with rich ores. They took 14 to 15 more claims on the other side of the hill on the outcrop. They found a vein which they named Girl Fantos with rich ores, and they took 10 or 12 more claims. So they were already gobbling up these claims at that time. So next time we'll talk about more uh, moving into a little bit more history of the development of uh, some of the early expeditions that mined, found mines in this area. We'll talk about Kit Carson. Um, 
Irwing Young expedition, um, the Mormon Battalion route, um, where the Weaver Mining District, uh, Tucson, uh, several other different areas that started to be developed and expeditions that were led when a lot of these mines were um, beginning to be developed. And we will go into that. So I want to thank you guys. If you've hung in with me to the end, please stop by RadicalRocks.com. Please subscribe, like, share. We depend on you to grow and help keep rock hounding alive. And remember, rock hounds don't die. They petrify.